0: However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Father, we just thank you that you have a plan for tonight, and you have a word for tonight. And I pray that you would help me. Lord, I'm just a human messenger attempting to give voice to God's word. And I admit my inadequacy. I cannot do that, but by the Holy Spirit empowering me. And so help me, Holy Spirit, to say the things that are on your heart for us, for our community, even right now, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Give us ears to hear tonight. Okay, so no, did you get notes to everybody? Has oh, yes. everybody got notes? Did you get $20 from everybody when they... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> notes are free. If you're tuning in via Facebook, there are notes on our website right now, gphop.org slash teachings. They are out there. And I just want uh, everybody to know, some are familiar with this, some aren't, Uh, I write notes. I sort of go off of them, but really these are for you to study on your own time. I put tons of extra verses and quotes and just thoughts that I don't go through. Um, But uh, these are kind of like go home, think a little bit more on it, do your own Bible study kind of thing. Uh, When I was young in the lord and I would go hear a sermon I'd always be like, "Whoa, how did you know all that? Where are your notes? What did you?" And so I have purposed in my heart to be one of those guys who I can just go here, here's what I here's why I said that. You know, here's my reasoning. And so I just I try my best to have notes. Uh, sometimes I don't, you know, get to but uh, meaning I slacked off, but um, I do my best. So Tonight is a very important subject that's been on my heart for a number of weeks. I finally uh, had the time and the space and the calendar to, to share on it, but the title tonight is Speaking the Truth in Love, Speaking the Truth in Love. This is becoming one of the most critical issues today, culturally and in the church, Because the rhetoric of our culture is becoming so divisive and so harsh. I mean, you look at the news and it's this group blasting that group and then that group blasts back and that's becoming, it's escalating more every year and it's becoming so normal in our culture that the church watching this play out or the church on social media reading post after post after post can think Ah, that's normal, I guess, because everybody's doing it. And God goes, no, that's not at all normal. I want my church to be way different when it comes to our speech. The church cannot join in all these back and forth, I hate you because you stand for that. I hate you back because you stand for that. No, the church, we certainly are to have convictions and values and to be bold about that, and I'm going to share about that tonight, but if we don't have love in our speech, if we don't have love in our communication, we we show ourselves to be unchristlike, and that's that's missing the whole point. And so I, I may go a little longer tonight than I mean slightly. I'm going to try to get through in normal time, but have so much on my heart related to this subject because. I see so many things out there on TV and playing out on social media where I am so grieved that certain things are being said because it's from an unloving spirit. And we as the church follow a man named love. God is love, the Bible says. So how can we, if we're following love himself, be harsh and and divisive and all of these things? It's just... Now, when I was first saved 20 years ago, real young and zealous, I would just always say the most intense thing possible, thinking that that was my calling to be bold. But as I've grown over 20 years and I've read Scripture more, I see what the gold standard isn't just saying whatever I want, but it's saying what Jesus would say the way Jesus would say it. And so let's go ahead, let's look at that tonight because that's really what I'm after. We want to be those who communicate, and we'll never do it perfectly. But we want to aim for for the, the, the high standard of, of speaking like Christ. We want to do this with our spouse, our kids, our uh, you know at work and ministry with our staff, you know, with uh, interpersonal dialogue online when we're going through social media. Sometimes we see a post and we're like, "Ooh, I gotta get that!" Guy. And Jesus, don't do it. Don't do that because that guy, if you just pray for that person and respond kindly, that might be a friend. You never know. But if you just blast them and then you you ruined it. And so there's so many areas where we could get into tonight. I'm going to try to focus it. But let's turn to Ephesians 4. Um, You have it right there on your notes. Ephesians 4, because this is where I get the title, Speaking the Truth in Love. This is an actual phrase in the Bible. Paul is describing the nature of leadership in the church. He says there's apostles, there's prophets, there's evangelists, there's pastors, there's teachers. Kind of describes that a little bit, goes into some detail. And then in verse 15, he says this, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. Very significant half of a sentence there. Paul says, he lays out a theological statement If we uh, speak the truth in love, we will grow up in everything. (laughs) If we don't speak the truth in love, let's just take the opposite, turn it on its head. If we don't speak the truth in love, we're not going to grow. One of the chief evidences of maturity in our walk with God, we begin speaking the truth, always the truth, in a loving spirit. That's an evidence that we're maturing if we're not speaking the truth and if we're not doing speaking the truth in love, because those are both significant, I'm going to break both of those down, then it's an evidence. Uh, and so I measure people just like the Bible says to measure that. If someone is regularly harsh and angry in their speech, it is self-evident that person is very immature in Christ. If they have... You know, they say things that are true and they say it with the right spirit consistently. No one does it perfect. I mean, that's a person that's grown up in the Lord. But someone who's arguing a lot, someone that's quarreling, loves to quarrel, Bible says, no, that's just not, that's not, we can't be leaders if we're doing that. Uh, there is a high standard that Jesus puts on us and I praise God for that. Can you imagine if Jesus just said, "I'll oh, say whatever you want? No one would be attracted to that faith if we could just, you know, do whatever we wanted. Jesus, he has he has a high standard that he wants us to aim for. And uh, so let's get into that. Let's focus, first of all, this is under letter, uh, uh, I'm sorry, number two on the notes. And really what I'm going to do here is I'm going to talk about the importance of speaking the truth, number one, and then speaking the truth in love, number two. So I'm going to emphasize the two different halves there. First of all, so critical to establish that we as believers, we never compromise the truth of the Bible under any circumstance. There's about a hundred reasons why, but we never go, well, I love you so much that I'm not going to really tell you how to get saved and live forever because that might offend you. Can you imagine, you know, being so, quote, loving that we compromise the truth? It just, it doesn't bear out. We must never back away from the central truths of the Christian faith, orthodoxy in other words. We must never, you know, quote, love someone so much that we don't tell them they're a sinner destined for hell and they'll be there for eternity except if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a central claim of Christianity. It's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to believe it, but we can never let go of something like that central. We can never water down the truth, minimize the truth, avoid the truth, be ashamed of the truth, be timid of the truth. We as Christians follow a man named love who is also the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. Anybody that wants to come to the father must come through me. That's his message. So we never shy away from that. And here's why I'm saying this. Some people go, Oh, Derek, you're one of those guys that's into love. Well, you're weak in the truth, though. That's what the truth crowd always thinks. And then the other crowd goes, "Well, um, well, I'm into love, and and, and you know, we we, t- t- we tone down the truth." And then the other crowd does the exact opposite. What I'm advocating for is both. We don't we don't tone down love, and we don't tone down truth. We put them together because Jesus did both. So we are, to, we are called to clearly, consistently give witness to the truths of the Bible. Here's what a lot of people will say. Oh, you Christians are hypocrites. You never live what you teach. And that's true. We never fully live it like Jesus did because none of us are perfect. I love that claim because it's actually true. We're all in some degree hypocritical because no one's perfect except Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus did live it, and they still killed him. He lived it perfectly. Never sinned, ever. And they still called him a blasphemous hypocrite. They put him on a cross, and it all ended up being part of God's plan. They literally looked at Jesus... And they heard his claims and they saw his miracles and they said, you blasphemous false prophet, we hate you. And so if they hated him, guess how much we're gonna have to put up with all these claims. But there's a a grain of truth to it because no one lives it at the level Jesus did. So if anybody comes at you and says, you hypocrite, you're supposed to be a Christian, just say, you're right. I can't live it perfect. All I can do is apologize because I can't live it perfectly. I'm aiming to live mature, but I, can't, I, I will never attain the level of Christ. Now, I've heard that so many times in 20 years, and it used to bother me when I was younger, but now I just go, yeah, I just agree with, I agree with you. <laughs> no one lives it. Okay, we'll move on from that. So we'll never be perfect like our Savior. Now there are times where we don't focus as much on outward preaching and teaching and evangelizing, and we just kind of pull back and retool our prayer life. So there are seasons and times where we we're not so you know you know we're not preaching all the time or whatever, but we never give up as Christians on the truths of the Bible. We never uh, we never move beyond that. So that's so important to. To know whether it's a you know a, a something about Jesus or the gospel or a controversial biblical truth, we stand for the truth. That's what believers do. Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel. This is Romans one sixteen. Paul taught in Romans ten that in order for people to receive the gospel, someone's got to say it that's so problematic somebody has to say the gospel for other people to hear it seems basic but that's the truth and nobody nobody really is worthy to stand before people and say you're a sinner you need to know jesus but somebody's got to say it there's nobody that's like you're so holy you can herald the gospel no no one no one's that holy Yet God calls preachers, God calls messengers, and they have to be faithful to tell the truth or no one knows it. That's Romans 10. Jesus, uh, or I'm sorry, in uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul requests prayer from the church of Ephesus. He says, pray for me that my speech may be bold, that I might preach like I'm supposed to. And so Paul was very aware that he was to stand for the truth Boldly proclaim the truth, and so are we in every sphere that we're called to uh, be in, whether it be in our family, our workplace, ministry, etc. Jesus says that we would know the truth and the truth would make us free. John 8.32, such an important statement. Jesus you shall know the truth, and that will lead to your freedom. That underscores the importance of truth. If we don't know what the truth is, we can't be free. We can't be saved. If, if you throw out truth, and it's just all subjective, how do we know God? How do we respond to the gospel? And so we, we praise God that there is an objective truth, that there is an anchor that there is a reference point that can lead us to God. It's called the Scriptures. So important. We by no means, therefore, compromise the communication of truth in any way because it would limit people. It would limit people. They, they wouldn't know how to. How, if we back down on the truth and there's someone out there that wants to know Jesus, how do they know? If we're so, and so there's just, we cannot ever, we can't do that. We must be a people who are who are committed that no matter the cost, no matter how many people won't like us, we're going to just agree with, if it's in the Bible, we agree with it. A lot of people throughout the generations, beginning with, the apostles and, and to their disciples and their disciples and their disciples. For 2,000 years, there have been a people that have believed the Bible, nothing more, nothing less. And we are of that same persuasion. If it's in the Bible, we value it. And we believe it. Now, I want to say something real quick because believing the truth has a lot of it has a, uh, what's, what's the way to say this? It has a lot of implications. And one of those implications is we don't believe lies. <laughs> that seems so basic. But if we're a people of truth, we go, okay, what you're saying is not true, so I'm just not going to believe that, right? And so what's happening right now this year is an explosion of conspiracy theories, An absolute avalanche like I've never seen in my life of conspiracies related to vaccinations, election results, uh, microchips. You could list a hundred of these things that I've seen on the news. I've seen articles. I've seen it on Facebook. I've been in a lot of discussions with it. And here's the thing. If it's not true, I want nothing to do with it and you don't either. Why is that? Because it won't lead to freedom. Once you go down the rabbit hole of conspiracies, you will end up in bondage in some way to a lie. I am seeing dear friends of mine go down rabbit holes of conspiracies that have consumed their time and their energy and their faith and it is doing things to them that I never would have imagined It would have happened to some of these people that I love dearly. But I'm telling you, it's like a drug. And once you get hooked on that drug called conspiracy theories, you develop what's called a conspiratorial mindset, and you doubt truth, and you believe lies. Let me say that again. Once you have a conspiratorial mindset, you doubt truth, and you believe lies, and you think it's normal. You become critical of everything that's good, pure, and lovely, and from God, and everything that's not pure, everything that's not from God, you're kind of open to now. It, it just does something to the human soul that I wish... Here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Jesus said clearly that there would be deception in the last days and that there would even be deception related to the timing of Jesus' coming Jesus said very clear, this this is Matthew 24, it's basic gospel. If you read your Bible, you know it. He said there's going to be people who will say, Jesus already returned. And people will actually believe it. It's so obvious that it's not true, but once you go down the rabbit hole of the conspiratorial mindset, anything's game. Jesus made very clear there's going to be people prior to the Lord's return that are going to say, come over here, Jesus already returned, He's over there. And people will go there. Jesus says, no, 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 no. The real day that I return, it will be obvious. It will be with an angel blowing a trumpet. It will be like lightning. It will be powerful. And you're never going to have to guess or wonder, is it in a secret room over there or is it a desert out there? No, you will know. It will be a cataclysmic event of epic proportion. There will be no doubt when Jesus returns. But there are already people on earth kind of trying to, uh, you know, get little pockets of influence saying the craziest stuff. It's been happening for 2,000 years. Can I tell you the safest way to guard your soul from deception? It's called the Bible. Just read it every day of your life. Get so familiar with it that it's like your best friend. You know what it's saying. You get it. You know what God means by it. And so when people say X, Y, Z, you go, nope, it's not. Right in the Bible says the complete opposite. I'm going with the Bible. Heresies and conspiracies and lies have been around as long as humanity. If you go deep in this word, You won't ever be tricked. And I see so many people being tricked right now because they just don't know their Bible. I see so many things on Facebook. I'm like, that's so clearly bogus. It's unbelievable, but people are buying it. Guys, don't, don't go the way of... Go deep into truth. Fill your mind with truth. Fill your heart with truth. Speak truth, believe truth, and just camp out there. I've had my say right there. Okay, we're not going to go too much longer on that. As believers, Philippians 4.8, we're told what to think about. Think about truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, love the truth. We need to part with... Now, here's the thing. I read articles. I I, I try to understand what everybody's trying to say, and I, I read all kinds of bogus things, but I don't believe it. Somehow there's believers that think, well, I don't want to be critical, so I I just, I'm going to believe that there's a microchip in that vaccine. No, 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 no. You don't become so naive that you believe anything. That's not biblical. So you don't want to become cynical and you don't want to become naive. What you do is you believe truth. And the way you believe truth is you read it over and over and over. And so we don't go to either extreme. Some people think you have to pick between both. Like, okay, I don't want to be that critical, crusty person, so I'm going to go over here and just believe anything. No, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. Okay, keep your brain in there, sew your mind on, and don't don't be... Jesus called it wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Wisdom and innocence, that really is how to capture that, that sentiment. We're not critical... We're not naive. We're wise as a serpent. We get, there's people with an agenda saying weird stuff, but I have a tender heart like a child. I just just want to believe what's true. I just think, man, that's so critical. So, okay, steer clear. (laughs) here's the thing we think oh just conspiracies i just believe it a little bit no you're going to believe it more next year and a little more the year after that and a little more the year after that and then you're going to go to the conference on it and then you're going to buy in the books on it i've seen how this works i've done this for 20 years when you buy in a little bit you end up full blown into it in 10 20 years this is how it happens it's just like the person just a little porn uh, I'm just just—I'm not on hardcore drugs. I'm just on a little bit of drugs. Uh, that's disaster waiting to happen. That's a train wreck waiting to happen. You get all the way out completely, total purity, treat your body right completely, never compromise in the slightest. That's the enemy's language, just a little bit. Ooh, that's, that's like the enemy's favorite statement, just a little bit. Because he knows he has you hooked in four years if you do just a little bit. We as a people, we stumble and we fail and no one's perfect. we call sin. We say, that's sin. I I, I failed. I did drugs. I said I wasn't gonna do it, but I did drugs. I'm getting help. I'm getting accountable. Fight that thing. Fight against the drug addictions, fight against alcohol addiction, fight against whatever it is that's that you know is consuming you and you know it's not God. Get it in the light, get accountable. And, and if it's, here's the thing, conspiracies are like a new version of porn. It's like this weird, whacked out, like, I'm too dignified to do porn and I'm not going to do that, but oh, I'm going to believe all kinds of weird stuff. That's, what? That's not for Christians. We don't give ourselves to that. I mean, I get it. Watch movies and, you know, have fun, but like, we don't believe that the Antichrist is inside of the vaccine or some weird... no. And I don't have time to condemn every conspiracy out there, but I just think, what are we doing? Anyway, you've seen some of that. You get my heart. Okay, let's move on. That's just part two of the message here. So we speak the truth. We steer clear of anything that's not true. We're, we're, We're not obsessing over, you know, people who are wrong so much that we're throwing stones at everybody. No, no, no. Well, this is just for us personally. We, we just have to, we got to know we're committed to truth and we don't buy into all this stuff out there. But really my main burden tonight is that we would tack on to believing the truth and speaking the truth. We would tack on those other two words, in love. Because here's the thing, we've got a lot of people committed to preaching, standing up for the truth, people against abortion, people against injustice and all these things that are bold about it, but they a lot of them in an angry spirit that turns people away from God. And so let's look at this for a minute. I just want to give just quick broad strokes here. Now this is is really, this will help orient our minds here. This is letter A under number three. Thank you for bearing with me. I'm going a little bit long here. As hard as this may be to imagine, you got to imagine with me, as hard as it may be to imagine, every time that Jesus spoke, every time, from infancy till death, he never sinned one time, ever. This man was sinless not only in his thought life, not only in his deeds, not in, in the areas of omission. He never failed to do anything that was sinful so he did things that were obedient he never didn't do something that was obedient he was thinking things that were righteous constantly he was always obedient and the miracle of miracles is that he never misspoke to the point of sin I can't fathom this I cannot fathom someone living for more than five minutes who never misspoke ever I mean you just get cut off in traffic I don't care how holy you are (laughs) 10 sins what you know just anything like you're trying to read your bible i'm just i'm just telling you my life i'm trying to read my bible and a kid comes to the room you know and i'm just oh i did it i just oh man i'm i'm a sinner saved by grace help me i mean we're saved but we still fall short we got to get right with you. I'm what i'm saying is we fall short in this area but jesus never did Never once did Jesus... I mean, we're talking about um, when he was teaching the crowds. Never said something unbiblical. Never said something that was sinfully mean. When he was rebuking the Pharisees, it was never sinful. When he was talking to mom as a kid, never disrespectful. When he was working with dad, always honored him. When he corrected Peter, it was with love. When he exhorted Nathaniel, he never went beyond what was true. No matter what he said, Jesus nailed it. What a miracle! Can you imagine living like going all year and everything you said, you nailed it? I just I marvel, I marvel that he did this, and he did, and. I've always believed that what we need, we need to see in God first. And so what we need is loving speech, and so we got to see it in God. We have to see it in the life of Christ. And when we see it in His life, we're we're empowered in our life because we're we're beholding Him, and it helps us to become like Him. And so some people, they'll, they'll look at it kind of off. They'll go, well, the reason why I'm really doing this is because you know that time where like Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. Well, he didn't do it like you're doing it. He never did it like that. He, he did it in love. And how did, how did he prove it? He died on a cross. Did you die on a cross? Oh, no, I, I didn't. See, Jesus proved his love in so many ways that we haven't. And yet we assume we're doing it like him. Ooh, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't ever compare myself like, well, I rebuked him because Jesus rebuked Peter. But are you Jesus? Like what? I've just heard so many weird comparisons. So, so here's the thing. When we assume that like Jesus lost it a few times, and so we're using that to justify when we lose it, we're totally off base. And yet that's what I see a lot of people do. It's people with that personality where they have this desire to just rebuke everyone and say the most intense thing that everybody needs to hear. And yet these people are honestly, they're just unhinged. It's so important to understand this, that when Jesus rebuked Pharisees and corrected Peter and overturned the table, those are like the three things I hear used to people to justify their sin that he did those, it was like four events in his life. The other million things he did, billion, for the 33 years he lived, he just had normal conversations with people. And so we shouldn't take four little things of his life and make it like that's what he did his whole life. What Jesus did for 30 years is he served his mom and his brothers and sisters at home. His dad died. And so he took care of the family as the oldest son. He did that for 30 years of his life. And we don't know much about him other than he did that. And then he did three years of ministry. And there's a few moments in ministry where he really shows zeal and one time specifically righteous anger. And so some people look at that and go, well, I have a right to be angry because Jesus was. Well, you're angry every day. (laughs) And Jesus did it once in 33 years. And so we've got to really untangle that weird web. And we just have to admit Jesus was perfect and we're not. And so we can't keep justifying our anger using that one Bible verse. Here's what I'm getting at we tend to be loveless. And Jesus wants us to be those who are full of love. And it starts in our speech. And we've got to stop justifying our anger with a Bible verse. Assuming that we're doing it just like Jesus. I would just say, here's the safe assumption. The safe assumption is Jesus was always righteous and we're usually not. That's the safest assumption. Anytime I'm angry, little bit of it in there is sinful. Never with Jesus, always with me. And so when I get mad at my kids and I actually reflect on it and think about it, 100% of the time it was because I was wrong. Almost never have I been angry and it was truly righteous anger. Maybe a couple times in my life. (laughs) I I just think we can't keep comparing ourselves to Jesus like that. Always remember, the gold standard is Christ and what He spoke like and He never sinned in His speech. And that's what we're aiming for. When we use unloving speech... We fall short. When we lash out in anger or we post that thing that was disrespectful or whatever, we're not conveying what Jesus is like. We have to know that. When we're just like, I'm so fed up, I'm just going to put a Facebook post out there and just blast everybody, we're actually harming people from growing because we're not representing Christ The way that we grow and we help others grow is we speak truth in love. Which means we have to do it with patience. We have to do it with kindness. We adjust our tone. We wait to share a lot of times. Patience means we might have to... Patience and long-suffering, it's a synonymous word. So instead of just lashing out, we wait a few days. It might even hurt us to wait, but we do that in love. And then we share it when we're able to say it the right way. It's so important that we grow in this because I'll tell you this, I'm seeing a collision course that's down the road still and what's happening is it's going to eat churches alive because half the congregation believes this, half the congregation believes that and they see this thing playing out on the news and pretty soon they're just going to be killing each other the church splits and then there's a church doing this and then there's a church doing that because they couldn't communicate in love guys we got to turn the news off we got to stop getting discipled by political pundits we need to get discipled by Jesus who died for us the guy on the news or the guy on Calvary i'm going to i'm going to take notes from that guy on how to talk you know what i mean we can't keep just eviscerating each other and then think like somehow that's going to help. I no. So I don't know where you're exactly at tonight, but you obviously know what I'm thinking. Let's just flip to the back page here real quick. I'm going to bring this to a close. I touched on letter C there. Let's never assume that our anger is righteous and then justify it by saying, "Well, Jesus did that." No, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. And to compare ourselves to him, at the very least, that's arrogant. At the very most, it's blasphemous. We have to understand our anger is almost always sinful. I just assume that it is. When I, when I get frustrated at home, and frustrated is the Christian word for anger, just so you know, when I get frustrated, um, I just, I know I'm wrong. It's just how long before I acknowledge it and some people, they have a lash out anger. Others have a go internal anger. And so you just have to know what's your anger and how do you express it. It's both sinful. And so some people, I'm going to just post that thing and let everybody know that's sin. And the other people, I'm just going to go internal and I'm just going to, I'm not going to talk to anybody for two weeks. There's there's aggressive and then there's uh, the, the uh, how do you say it? There's the, Passive-aggressive and aggressive. So thank you. They're both equally sin. And so your personality may do one or the other. Jesus has a better way. He just says, just apologize. I was wrong. Can you help me? And then just move on. I saw on Twitter today. I was going through my Twitter feed, and I, uh, a guy said, you know, uh, the other day I was at the supermarket, and I just lost it on this lady. And then I was driving home, and I was just so I couldn't believe I did that and so i called the store and i apologized and i said would you forgive me and the lady did like, what if we did that as a culture seriously what if if we like really blew it and we know it we like, hey can i can i talk to that cashier lady and can i get what if we did this i just think what if we had godly speech in our culture What if someone in the media called the president and said, "Hey, you know, during the press conference, I was disrespectful. Sorry about that. Will you forgive me?" What if we did that in politics, in church, in family? What if we spoke truth in love and when we fell short, we got it right? What if someone, you know, on the late show, instead of blasting the president, was like, "You know, I called the president privately and we worked that out." You now, bless God. What if we did this? Oh my God, I think we should. I have a few other thoughts there for personal application. I have a few quotes that I threw in there. Um, And just a few other thoughts for study. I'm not going to go through the back page. But let's just try to make this. Let's try to make this our aspiration. Let's never back down on the truth. And yet in standing up for what's true, let's always do it in love. doesn't mean we have to win every conversation. I'm a person of truth, so I got to win the No, you don't have to win the conversation. Just be loving. State your opinion and then just be patient and gentle and all the other characteristics. Some people say, "Well, what's love?" Start at 1 Corinthians 13. There's 16 designations of what love- Paul says this is what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, Love is this, love is that. 16 of them, right? Start there, meditate on those, and and then just study the life of Christ because all that Jesus did is a representation of God and God is love. If you accurately interpret what Jesus was doing, that's what love does. So he goes to the guy with leprosy, he heals him. That's what love does. He goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel had said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus says, I like you. There's no deception in your life. There's no guile in you. So just look through it with that lens. Whatever Jesus did, that's what love does. Amen. Christine Kane. She says, Some people are so focused on grace and mercy uh, 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 that they speak little truth. Others focus so much on the truth that they lack grace. By design, the two work best together. Only when we practice both will we get, uh, will we and those listening to us flourish and become more Christ-like. Last thought: Second Timothy two, a servant of the Lord. This is Second Timothy 3, uh, two, verse twenty-four. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and in humility correcting those who are in opposition. We know the verse in 1 Peter 3, 15, always be prepared to share with anyone who asks about the hope you have, but do it in what way? Gentleness and respect. My dad is so quick to remind me anytime. I'll be like, Dad, I'm going to go be sharing over here. Pray for me. Oh, oh, do it with gentleness and respect. It's his favorite verse. He loves it. And I need to hear that every time he says that. So friends, let's speak the truth in love. Amen? All right, let me pray here. Father, I've shared your word tonight, and now I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit you'd make this real to us. Let us be those who stand for truth, and let us be those who do it in love. May we never back away from this. Lord, we know it's a high standard. I pray that whenever we fall short, we would be those humble enough to say, you know what, I didn't speak that truth in love. Would you forgive me? Would you pray for me? Would you help me get this right? I pray for your church, Father, both locally and nationally and around the world. I pray that your church would be a church that communicates the truth powerfully and boldly and in a loving spirit that causes people to think of the man who is loved, Jesus Christ. And I thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.